The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media. It's been a hot one in Burbank. It's been really hot. It's October, almost November, and I'm wearing, uh, wearing shorty shorts. Going down to the uh, grocery store to pick up some lemons. Hi, everybody. Dutch Allen here for another episode of Inside Tinseltown on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. Got a little bit of a frog in my throat today uh, because of uh, a lot of fires here in town there. They're not the, they're not good things here. I, I don't know if I ever told you this, Petey. Petey's my producer, everybody. Say hi to Petey over there. I'm clapping for him. He doesn't care. He's waving me away with a finger that I don't think is appropriate at children's parties. I don't think I've ever told you, Petey, and I definitely know I haven't told the listeners here of Inside Tinseltown, which, by the way, let's set the table here. Here's a show for me, former Hollywood movie producer, uh, occasional writer. Uh, I directed, uh, dabbled in directing. I've uh, been all around the Hollywood business here, uh, and I uh, used to tell people a lot, you've got go picture, kid, and... After I was, uh, you know, Hollywood, you don't retire from Hollywood because I think a lot of people would like to do this. Even, you know, Tommy Lee Jones has stepped away. And uh, Tommy Lee is uh, is a curmudgeon in the in the highest regard. And uh, he and I, uh, I wouldn't say we ever got along, but we didn't have problems with each other. With each other. But I did, we did have one breakfast one time. It was around the time that he was going to be doing the movie Cobb. And I uh, I had another picture I wanted him to be uh, doing, uh, which was a baseball picture as well, Petey. It was called Marvelous Marv. It was the story of Marvelous Marv Throneberry, which was a he was a New York Mets uh, first baseman at the time who was notorious for not being the best first baseman at the time. And I thought it'd be a great kind of picture, um, a, a baseball picture that just uh, really captures the character of the game. But not really talking about a statistical legend, but more of a urban legend type of player. And uh, I met with Tommy Lee and we had breakfast. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget this. I enjoy breakfast, Pete. You know, you've been, we've been to breakfast there. I love the diners. I love the greasy spoons. I love greasy spoons at greasy spoon diners. Uh, literal greasy spoons. And um, the smoke is getting, I'm, I'm like choking here. Uh, we, we, I, so I order an omelet. I did, it was a simple omelet there. It was just, you know, I, I do like a fancy omelet every now and then, a California omelet, a fit omelet. Uh, I'll do a Denver omelet because I just like Denver. Denver's a great spot there, Petey. And so... Uh, what I would do is, uh, you know, with omelets, sometimes I just go straight ahead. But on this particular day, I think I might have had too bit of, too much of bourbon the night before, which was uh, could be a problem there. I sat down with Tommy Lee over breakfast to pitch this marvelous Marv project, and uh, I ordered uh, sausage, bacon, ham, uh, caribou, a lot of things inside the omelet. It was uh, not just a meat lover's omelet. It was like uh, a meat fornication omelet. And it was, uh, I had toast. I enjoy sourdough toast with the jams spread all on it. I love spreading jam. There's something, there's a, there's a little tiny victory in life when you get the jam packets there and and you rip them open there and you and you 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 see the jam in there. And I don't care what it is: mixed berry, strawberry, grape. I don't go for the marmalade as much. Uh, it's got some grind in there. Some rinds is it grinds? It's got some grinded down rinds that I just don't like. Um, but you get the jab and you you say I don't. This toast is too big. How am I going to spread the jam about to this toast? 
the butter's there, the butter's sinking into the bread. That's the, that's just the best part there. But it, we, that when you find a way to spread the jam evenly with these tiny packages and not use, I don't want to use two. That's a glutton. And I'm sitting across from Tommy Lee Jones thinking, I've got to spread this jam with the utmost care. But anyways, I ordered this big breakfast. Uh, potatoes on the side there. This is my doctor's, you know, rolling in his grave from the doctor I had back then. This is uh, what the mid-90s or something there. And I was I was kind of out of it. You know, I was uh, uh, working on the day and driving Miss Daisy picture was kind of the last time that I had a big hit. And I thought this was a way to come back, you know. Because uh, the mid-90s was a good time. Uh, Ken Burns' baseball documentary was coming out there. Uh, it had been out, and people were um, interested in the not just the history of the game, but the characters of the game, you know. And I uh, there's a lot of ways you go, and Goodman had done the Babe Ruth picture. Uh, I thought Field of Dreams was still close enough in the rearview mirror that we should give this a try, Major League, all these things. And I thought Tommy Lee Jones' marvelous Marv Thronberry would be a, a, a win, a, a chance to get me back on the guest list of even some of the more exclusive Hollywood parties. I uh, met with Tommy Lee, and I ordered this breakfast. That's like the breakfast of not champions. It's the breakfast of someone about to be put to death, the last breakfast in their life or something like that. And Tommy Lee, I tell you what, he orders two egg whites on a plate with that's all it was on there no toast no hash browns a slice of tomato and i'm looking across and he doesn't strike you as that type right you don't think tommy lee jones is going to be going into a restaurant and asking for gluten-free options right and not that he's a burly dude i think it just seems he seems like a a meat and potatoes type of guy, like literally a meat and potatoes type of guy. But he had this, and I was like, well, you know, he's an actor. He's, uh, he's, he wants to do things uh, right. And um, I pitched him that, and he said no before. He said no after, but he had said no with his eyes when he looked down at my omelet before we even started that. And I'll tell you right then, that was... Uh, it was, uh, I, it was the worst omelet I've ever had because of that. If you've ever tried to eat an omelet with Tommy Lee Jones staring down at you, I'd, I'd not recommend that for the faint of heart. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. We're getting it inside Tinseltown's the case here. Dutch Allen here talking to you guys here, uh, telling stories, uh, looking back on my career. I might be getting back into producing pictures. I might be giving myself a go picture, kid. Uh, I know Petey's surprised. Some of you listening might be surprised there. But I um, uh, there's I, I have received a pitch for a motion picture, a romantic comedy, a rom com, if you will, called uh, uh, "Take a Take a Beat of My Heart." What is it called? I don't I don't even know yet. Uh, it's every beat of my heart, or, or take a beat of my. It's something with heart because romantic comedies. Uh, that have uh, the word hot in them or, or, or revolve around hearts, I think uh, are very, they're good for the marketing. I think uh, I think that's what it is, you know? Uh, I think uh, with every beat of my heart, which was apparently a name of a popular musical performer's songs, and these two guys, uh, Josh and... Um, Josh and Caddy, and Caddy's uh, the part of the, the, that's the podcast feed we're on. They pitched me this movie, Every Beat of My Heart. And we're trying to get Julia Roberts locked down for it, maybe Steve Gutenberg, and it's going to be, I'm excited about possibly doing it there. I'm, I miss the hunt. I miss the game. 
I imagine that's probably what Marvelous Marv Thornberry thought when uh, he had to leave the game. I miss missing ground balls. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. I read Bob Iger's book. Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, the top dog over there, the top mouse over there, I guess we should say, produced a book there. It's called uh, The Ride of a Lifetime. My lessons from 15 years is uh, the top mouse at Disney. Uh, not the exact title there. And I got to tell you something, dear. I know Bobby Iger. I have been around Bobby Iger. Um, he was uh, working ABC television uh, when I was sort of uh, moving away my way out of pictures. Now, uh, back in the day, movie pictures was where, was where you wanted to be. Uh, I dabbled in television a little bit. I, uh, I had an executive producer credit on a show in the 80s called Scarecrow and Mrs. King, uh, Bruce Boxleitner, Kate Jackson. It was a spy-at-home kind of a show. I thought Bruce Boxleitner could have been a big star and should have been a big star. Kay Jackson, I thought, was just luminous. Uh, one of Charlie's Angels there, you know? And I had something to do with that. And I thought that was, I think, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, if it had uh, been made today during what is called now this renaissance of television, I think Scarecrow and Mrs. King would be a big hit. I don't know why they don't remake it. There's a lot of those shows. We go back to all these people. They say Hollywood's creatively bankrupt, and they go look at the uh, things in the 80s. You know, they make GoBots pictures, um, uh, Care Bear novels, and all those kind of things. Um, I, 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 took a, I took an option out on a Care Bear picture in 88. Uh, the Transformers animated movie, I remember that greatly because it was uh, supposed to be taking animated programs to a new uh, height uh, as, as a motion picture option, and that didn't work there. The problem was they killed the dog in the Transformers movie. I don't, I don't mean that dog, like a robot that transformed into a dog, though that's a good idea. Uh, I don't know why they didn't have more transforming dogs on uh, Transformers. No, it was when they killed the, the big rig. Uh, Od- Odious Prime. Uh, they killed the big rig, uh, shot him all up. Like, first act, he dies. And it's all right. I think it's okay to say, hey, the legends, these characters you know and love... Um, Kill him off. Next generation's coming in. I got no problem. I know Luke Skywalker has been murdered, and it upsets a lot of people. Most of them, forty-two in sweatpants. Um, some you, the next generation's got to come in, and, and and if you're upset at uh, Luke Skywalker biting the big one, it might be because you know you're one step closer to biting the big one yourself, and you want to know. <laughs> you want to look at the screen and think, oh, here I am. My age is advancing. I saw the first time I saw Luke Skywalker take his laser sword and, and kick people in the butt. I was seven or ten or whatever. It was nine and everything was in front of me. Life was in front of me. And life goes. Life moves on. And you're not always going to be able... You think, I'm going to be the hero one day. I'm watching Luke Skywalker swing his laser sword, killing the, the pigmen, the green pigmen. And I want to do that too, because you're nine and you think that's possible. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying don't chase your dreams. That's not what I'm saying. Petey wanted to be the producer of an average podcast that uh, half uh, half the Napsuck Files listening audience doesn't listen to. Um, and he's doing it. But I know I'm, what I'm saying is here is... Is you look up on screen and you go, I want to be a space wizard. I want to kill pigmen. And 
life doesn't go that way. And then you and you but you still hold on to the dream. So you're 25 thinking, where's my laser sword? I still got time. 30, I still got time. 35, are we gonna be we're gonna do this here? 40 hits around, and you're starting to think, maybe I'm not going to be swinging a laser sword at Pigman. And it starts to fade away. So when you go to the movies, you want to see it. You want to see it up there. And uh, it's why representation's important in pictures, right? Everyone wants to see themselves on the screen. And, and I think everyone at one point or another should be able to see themselves on the screen. I don't understand why that's a hard concept to get. Um, so if you're in, in sweatpants at home thinking, I still want to be a space wizard, I'm going to go see the Star Wars picture. And Georgie Lucas ain't involved, but you're going to go. And he's got gray in his beard, and he looks a little grumpy. He wants to sit around and have some oatmeal, not defend the galaxy. And then and then he doesn't uh, pull out a laser sword the way you would want, and then he, he checks out of the hotel at the end, and someone else who's younger than you, a whippersnapper, is whipping their laser swords around. You're going to say, you're going to, Think, oh, that's, they didn't do it justice. Uh, it's not what I would have done. No, of course, because uh, you want to still be swinging the laser sword at 64. Well, guess what? Now you shouldn't be swinging laser swords at 64. Move it on. Move it on. So anyway, so they kill Odious Prime in the first act of the Transformer movie, and I think that was part of the next generation. Then they had uh, Rod, Rod, Rod Berry Prime comes in or something like that, and he's got the... Uh, He's got the golden robot heart or something. And then he's the next one, right? He's like the new generation. And no one took to it. And it wasn't that, it, it, it wasn't that the kids were like, no, Odious Prime's our guy. Uh, we want, it's just they were traumatized. They sat down to watch this picture to see the robot heroes on screen and the big one dies like 10 minutes in. It's like for a lot of, I read a report on this back in the day. Because we, the industry was watching it there. I was reading a report on it there, and we were all thinking, this this movie failed. This is a big popular kids show. They got toys selling out of the Toys R Uses like nobody's business. I remember going to a J.J. Newberry market in a small town in the central coast of California, and their shelves it was a, it's the Transformer toys. They had Mega Guy, Odious Prime, Screaming Star, and all the stuff. Uh, jazz robot, a blue streak robot. Uh, they had a Volkswagen bug, which by the way, I, got, I dated a girl once with a Volkswagen bug, 64 beetle. And it, you would not think there's a lot of room in the backseat of that car, but let me tell you something. We, we, that, that bug shook that. Anyway. So, uh, I went to the manager of that, uh, JJ Newberry and I said, Hey, this shelving here looks like you're supposed to have the transformer toys. Uh, I don't see any robots on here. And they said, they said, these are selling out like hotcakes. And if you go back to my beginning story, I understand hotcakes. I enjoy omelets and hotcakes. And so I said, I understand what you're saying. And he goes, the kids, the kids are just buying, uh, all these. I said, yes, you make a guy. I said, yeah, they make a guy, odious prime, all of them there. Uh, there's one that was a boombox that uh, transformed into like a record player or something. I said, oh, this is great. So this movie, we thought it was going to be a hit. And the movie kind of wasn't a hit. And that's because word spread. You know, Joe and Jane Blow down the street are telling their friends, Bob and Alice and Ted and Carol, uh, don't take your kids to see the Transformers picture because uh, the, the main guy uh, dies. And, and uh, you got a crying kid for the next 45 minutes of the movie. Where's my odious? Odious died. Where's Prime? Prime's dead, kid. And, it, and so these kids had to learn the impact of death a lot sooner in a kid's cartoon that was supposed to change the big pictures. 
So that's I did option a, a Care Bear uh, motion picture during the time there, but they were going to kill uh, uh, they were going to kill Sprinkle Bear. I think that was Sprinkle Bear or something like that. Basil Bear, something I don't know. They were going to kill him. So you can't kill him. You can't kill him. You know, Smurfs movie. They were going to do a Smurfs movie. They're going to kill Smurfette. So you got one female Smurf in this village, which, by the way, is suspect. Grandpa Smurf is walking around with no shirt on and a beard, uh, dancing around this uh, young thing here. This is not a good message, even then. These are different times. I understand it, but I remember sitting in a meeting because we were thinking of picking this up at the studio. We were thinking of picking this up, optioning the Smurf movie, and I said, "We got, there's got to be a Smurfette too. That you can't have one lady Smurf in a village of a bunch of dude Smurfs. That's not good. Good things aren't going to happen. No one understood, but those were the times. So Bobby Igers at ABC TV, and I, uh, I had a little bit of the success success with the Scarecrow and Mrs. King. And I'm thinking when I say I, I had took a meeting and 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 uh, this is the early '90s here. And Bobby Iger is the one who's putting uh, Twin Peaks on the TV, which uh, didn't do well, and he took a bit of a hit for it there. But artistically, he he had a lot of cred for that. It's a, it's a David Lynch uh, show, uh, but uh, Bobby Iger was the executive, and executives they get a chance. They get they get they they get a chance to 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 put their mark on things, but also, uh, you know, they don't have a reputation for being creative geniuses, just business geniuses. And and Bobby Iger would admit that, but he took a shot, and I I respected that, I respected that a lot. So um, I'm sitting in here with uh, Bobby Iger in his office at the uh, studios there in Burbank, off Buena Vista Boulevard, uh, Buena Vista and Alameda. Look it up on a Google map. You'll find it right there. I was sitting there. It was about uh, 92. Bobby Iger here. Disney is not in the picture at this time. And I uh, I wanted to pitch him a show. And I uh, said, I think it might the movie business might be... Uh, might be uh, pushing me out because again, you don't really retire in Hollywood. They just tell you, "Hey, eh, maybe you want to consider doing other things." And so I said, "Yeah, TV," because back then TV was not what it was, right? Nowadays, all the creators, the directors, the executives, the actors—they all want to dance on the landscape of television. This was not the case even ten years ago. It was not the case. It started to be the case. When Alec Baldwin, who was uh, great in uh, Beetlejuice um, and uh, the first uh, submarine spy picture, it was really good. Um, yeah, when he took his uh, took his act to television with the show from uh, Tita Fey there, the 30, the 30 Rock show, it was like, what? This guy's given up? What do you mean he's given up? He's going to night light, night, nighttime television? Prime time. Good ad numbers, but what's he doing? And look what he did. He won. He won like uh, Golden Globes and Peabodys and Nick Junior Awards, uh, and and I think that was it's an underrated. Everyone looks at Game of Thrones. It's a big cinematic program on television that changed the game, and it did. And uh, Sopranos and all that. But it, Alec Baldwin going to do some comedy hijinks on Thirty Rock is something that's overlooked there. A bona fide movie star. I love that picture he's in with the uh, Sir Tony Hopkins, where they uh, like uh, they take a bear camping or something like that, and the bear fights him. Great picture. Uh, so I'm sitting with Bobby Iger there, and I and I say I, I'd like to do something with Box Lightner. 
I worked with him on Scarecrow with Mrs. King, and I think we can get him in a, a picture where he's uh, okay, maybe a retired FBI agent uh, trying to uh, coach his son's uh, soccer team, and uh, hijinks ensue. We'll, we'll, we'll cash some young uh, kids, uh, you know, preteen kids, uh, precocious kids, sitcom kind of kids. Uh, we can just go to some of them Disney mouse dancing shows and grab some people and put them there. Um, I just want to do Box Lightner on TV again, you know. And um, Bobby August says, I got nothing against uh, uh, Bruce Box Lightner. Uh, I got nothing. Scarecrow Mrs. King was a great program. But it's uh, this is about moving forward. Um, and he had worked for Rune Arledge, who Rune Arledge was the ABC sports guy, ABC news guy later on. And Rune had that those rules. Innovate or die was, um, you know, I never worked for Rune. I did go, I, I did go to the 1972 World Series as a guest of Rune Arledge because he liked one of the pictures I'd worked on. Uh, and uh, we reached out, uh, we met, uh, had some cocktails um, in the parking lot at, at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, the A's and uh, Oakland Athletics is, is known professionally. Uh, the A's and the Reds were in the World Series that year. And that was the year Joe Rudy made some uh, big plays, uh, some big hits too. Um, A's were a good team, man. The A's were, that was, uh, they had the mustaches and the hair. And the Reds were, the Reds were like almost the big red machine at the time. And I went as a guest as Rune Knowledge, but I didn't work for him there. And Rune was Rune was demanding, you know. Um, so, but he had that thing, innovate or die. Bobby Iger, uh, Bobby Iger uh, said, you know, with all due respect to your past and and your television program, uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. And by the way, I didn't. I executive produced. I put my name to it. I showed up on set. Box Lightning and I had some beers uh, across the street from the studios, you know. Um, I left. I I didn't want to bother Kate Jackson. Um, I was friends with uh, Jacqueline Smith, and I don't know if they get along. I don't know. I don't know. Um, so I I didn't want to feel like I was choosing sides there, you know. But that's what. Um, so I uh, I said I understand. I respect that. He said we got to move forward. Bruce Boxlight on television, uh, leading a show, and it's a good pitch for your show. But I think that's been seen before. Let's get something out there that's different. And I had to respect it. I had to respect it. So we gathered up our things. Uh, we went across the way, down the street a bit, uh, to uh, Smokehouse. We had ourselves a steak. Uh, well, I had, he, Bobby Iger doesn't really eat meat uh, there. So he had some potatoes. And uh, I, I didn't get in the television business, which might have been a regret. I should have listened. I should have counted with a younger performer or a newer performer or something like that. He did say he liked the show. Point being, though, I read Bobby Iger's book there. And Bobby Iger's been all over the place. Uh, he's done a lot of things. He, he started in, like, the mailroom for Disney. Not Disney, ABC. Excuse me. It's hard. It's all, they're all one now. Disney owns this podcast now. I wish. Um so I got, you know, he worked his way up. I don't respect that. I worked my way up. My first job, my first actual job. Have you ever, have you ever told you the story there, Peter? Petey? I called you Peter. I apologize. Uh, before I would tell people, you got go picture, kid, before I do all that. I didn't do, I didn't work in the mail room. I'll tell you what I did. I got a job on the old Paramount lot over there in Culver City. Working in the kitchen. 
and I would go around cleaning tables, bussing tables at the uh, commissary there. So, you know, you got movie stars of the day there. Your Cary Grants, your, your Jimmy Stewart's. Uh, coming through there, having their pudding, maybe a roast beef sandwich, and they, you know, they would finish it all. I'm not saying I would take it and eat it. No, I'm not a monster. But I would gather their food, and I would look at the food and say, that's been in the mouth. That roast beef has been in the mouth of royalty, Hollywood royalty. And I said, I would tell myself, one day, the roast beef that doesn't make it into my mouth will be cherished by someone else. And I worked my way up from there. I was 14. They didn't have working laws. Working, the, the work laws were a little different back then. You know what I mean? So Bob Iger's book, I'll tell you what, it had a lot of things in it. And I want to talk about it. He's had a lot of experiences being a CEO, a top dog, a vice president, a president of television, a president of entertainment. He's produced things for the Olympics, World Series, uh, all those kind of things. The wild, wide world of sports was one of his things. We span the globe. That was uh, Iger's uh, show that he worked on there. So we're going to take this. Can we close the window here, Petey? The Burbank fires are killing me. We're going to take a break. I'm going to clear my throat. When we come back, I'm going to talk about some of the lessons that I learned being in charge and see where they sync up with Bobby Aga. You're listening to uh, Inside Tinseltown here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. It's a part of the Saturday night special lineup. I hope you all enjoy it. It's fun to do. And we're going to be back. I'll tell you what. I swear to God. Catherine Hepburn, every day, wouldn't finish her coffee. Halfway down, lipstick on the glass. I once made out with it. That's all I'm saying. I don't think that was the reason I was fired. Making out with the coffee cup. Might have been because I kept leaving my scripts uh, underneath uh, Hitchcock's feet there. He'd stop by every now and Anyways, uh, back, welcome back to Inside Tinseltown here. I'm Dutch Allen here, producer extraordinaire. <laughs> I used to be, not so much anymore. We're talking Hollywood. We're talking Bob Iger, CEO of Walt Disney Studios and all those things. I think so. What are they... Disney, Disney. I know Disneyland, Disney World, Disney Studios. Like, do they take the Walt out of it? I met Walt Disney twice, uh, trying to get some rights to some uh, of his uh, rides and turn them into motion pictures. But he liked to do it all in house there. Disney, as a corporation, always has. Um, Walt was okay. Walt was fine. I got nothing wrong with Walt. He was a little icy, you know what I mean? He was a little distant. I think he was warm to those he loved. I think he was icy cold, like a frozen icicle to those he didn't like. And uh, I respected that there. Anyways, I read Bobby Iger's book there, and I want to get to the point there. I uh, really like He talks about his career. He talks about his mistakes and things he's done wrong. He's done talks about things he's done right. I think he's done a lot of things right. 
As I think he's done some things wrong. That's the way it's going to be. You take your shots, kid. You take your shots. That's what Dutch Allen would do. That's what I want you to do. That's what Bobby Iger did as well. He talked about the acquisition of Pixar, working with Steve Jobs. He talked about the acquisition of Marvel. Everyone loves the comic book pictures, the Iron Guys and the Captain Americas and uh, all those things. And... uh he talked about Ike Perlmutter. He used to run Marvel. Used to, I don't want, what does Perlmutter have got to do? He's got to do some stuff. I don't know. It's, it's complicated. Um, and he talked about my guy, Georgie Lucas. So, you know, I love Georgie. He talked about him. And, uh, you know, I think it's in uh, the acquisition of Lucasfilm and Star Wars and all those kind of things. And, and, and he, had run, he had problems with each one of them. But he loved each one of them. And I think that's what's clear to me. And I think there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions on the Georgie Lucas stuff there, feeling disrespected. But George sold the company. And he wanted to sell it for, you know, $7.4 billion, And they got uh, they got the $4.05 billion. I think he was a little put, a, put out of shape. Even though Georgie didn't need the money. And then Georgie's a good guy. I love Georgie Lucas. So he sent that money to the people who need it there. But he wanted more. Maybe he wanted to do more good things with the money there. George's, uh, George's view on the Star Wars pictures right around this time, 2010, 11, 12, when the sale happened, I think was a little sour for good reason. I think a lot of uh, the fans uh, took things to heart in the wrong way. It's good, it's good when fans take things to heart, but... Uh, Moderation might be that. It's like me. Today I'm drinking a hydrating beverage because last night, I'll tell you what, I danced the night away at a birthday party there. And I went to a place downtown, uh, Hollywood, um, called the Parlor Room on a street called Yucca, a little tiny thing. Bit of a quiet affair. And uh, me and uh, me and my friends uh, were there celebrating a birthday party for someone we know. And we did, we had one of those nights there where, where you suddenly look up and you're like, oh, it's two a.m. in the morning. I think uh, I think it's time for this party to go back to the house. You know what I mean? Which is also why I think I'm a little hoarse today too, and I'm drinking this hydro. I don't always pound them. I know it sounds like I do, but I don't always pound them there. So um, Bob Iger was very honest in with what he shared and some of his mistakes there. Georgie Lucas. Well, that's what I was talking about. George Lucas, I think at the time he sold Star Wars, was done mentally with Star Wars. Then it's what happens with a lot of things. This is why my third and fifth wife are the same. You get away from something and you think, well, maybe things weren't as bad as I thought. I miss it more than I thought I would. I want to come back. And you can't come back because you've sold everything to another company. And then that's naturally going to make you think you don't like what they're doing. And he has the right to. But I think if you hold on to that fact a little too much there, you, I think you're missing the big picture. You're missing the context there. Uh, no one knows these business dealings. You know what I mean? No one's in these meetings. So if you think just by automatically buying the properties that were produced by Lucasfilm that suddenly they had to take George's word for what was to happen going forward, that's not why they're buying it. And maybe that's why you should have thought second uh, about them selling it. I don't think they needed to sell Lucasfilm. I don't think they needed to sell Pixar, uh, Marvel, but the, it was good. Every time Bobby Iger approached these guys, these power brokers meeting together with the idea of, hey, why don't you sell it to us? It was initially met with resistance. Steve Jobs is like, I'm not going to save your animation wing. Pixar's fine without you. Jobs let him know all the time. Jobs was an interesting, complicated 
creature. Parramatta didn't. He had an empire. He didn't need it. He was an outsider to the business. Warmed up to it. George Lucas. I'm not. He'd worked with Disney on stuff before, you know, on Star Tours and uh, all those kind of things. Sold some lightsaber churros and all those things at Disneyland. And uh, did the. Uh, he did actually the uh, Young Indiana Jones show around the same time that I was pitching to uh, Bobby Iger for you know using box lightner. They got Sean Patrick Flannery as Indiana Jones, and they went to a different direction. And then they got two seasons out of it. And I think George felt, you know, all right, I can trust you then. But he had to know what he was getting into. And if you, I, I just, that's not on Iger. That's not on Iger. It's on George. I'll say it. I'll say it to his face when we go to an Olive Garden next. But he talked, Bobby Iger talked about it there. And he talked about the importance of, uh, you know, uh, and trusting your, trusting your employees, uh, trusting them to do their job, knowing when you're defeated, uh, taking time that you don't need to just convince people, destroy them, wrap them over their head with your ideas. Um, let them come to it at some point. I, I think it's another lesson I took there. And I think Bob Iger, uh, Bobby, as uh, I used to call him there, I think he understands he's a per- person of importance, but he... He doesn't live on it. He doesn't rest his entire existence on it. And he might one day be president. So I got to speak nice of him. Nah, I'm kidding. I love Bobby. Be quite a story. I made mistakes too. I'll tell you what, there's a lot of mistakes. Uh, things you should not do when you're running a company. Never, never, I repeat, never hold company meetings in hot tubs. I learned that the hard way. Uh, it was a different time, 1968. Different time. I would not uh, recommend this at any time. I, I don't think I'd do this now. What I, I said, everybody, we had a hot tub installed in the back room of our studio offices on the lot there. And uh, there would be some days where you're trying to get through meetings, trying to get through the work day, and I'd say, that's it. Everyone, down to your skivvies, let's jump in the hot tub. We're going to talk about this over the bubbles. Um, there was a lot of uh, low-level employees who felt they had to do this, and that's where the problem was later on, as the lawyers told us. Um, there's a lot of uh, older employees, mostly uh, gentlemen, and I use that term loosely, who before I could even finish a sentence were down to their boxes and their socks with the little sock suspenders on them. Uh, they would go into the hot tub with them. I would not suggest doing that. Um, Conference rooms are made for a reason there. Don't do that. Do not listen to your own hype. That's another thing, another mistake I've done. I am very aware that I am Dutch Allen, producer. You've got go picture, kid, was my trademark sentence. There are times in my career that I felt I believed I was better than I was. And when you got people around you being uh, lick spittles, you know? Is that the term? Kiss ass is one term. Yes, men is uh, is, is another term. And uh, you can look in the mirror and see yourself with a, th- a, a throne uh, behind you and a crown on your head that's not there. And that's something that's something I think Bobby Iger would admit that he's done at some points and other times he's realized I can't do that. And I think that's a mistake I did. Most of the 70s. I thought I was something I wasn't. I thought it was bigger than I was. And when you're getting hit after hit and you're making pictures and you're, and you're, you know, you're going out to uh, Fontana for the weekend to uh, race cars with Steve McQueen and not on a racetrack. We weren't even allowed to do it, but we're doing it. 
when you look around at the pretty people and all the pretty people think you're the ones that can make me prettier uh, and line my pockets and, and get me more fans, you start to believe it. And that's what I did. I spent most of the 70s, outside of a couple months in 78, it was a little bit down on myself there. Um, it could start to hurt. It could, it, that can, that can hurt you. It can, it can affect you. It takes away your ability to see things as they other things, you know, you want to take chances, and I think that's what Bobby Agus' book is really uh, about. He talks about there a long time ago, uh, before even I think the iPhone came out there, which is a marvelous device. I use it to get lost in more creative ways. Uh, he, he, when he and Steve Jobs uh, were talking about uh, the future, for where to watch things, and Jobs was saying, hey, I, got a, I got an iPlayer there. It's going to be like the iPod, but a video, a video iPod player. And I want to put uh, things on there, content. And Bob Aga said quite plainly, I believe in this, and I want our shows on there. I think that's why you could buy like all like 49 seasons of Grey's Anatomy on the iPod video there. Um, and that's why I look at Bobby Aga. I think he saw, he saw a future that wasn't there yet. And I failed to do that. Um, case in point, trying to pitch Bruce Boxleitner for TV program in the early 90s when it wasn't uh, his heyday in the 80s there. And that's not, and I think Boxleitner Box kept working. He's a great guy. He's a great cat there, but uh, I love him. I was, I've pinned my whole TV career, as small as it was, I pinned it on him there. Um, you've got to look at the bigger picture. You've got to look around you and see what's not there. Don't stagnate. Take chances. Move forward. I didn't do that a lot. I really didn't do that a lot. Um, I, and, and I think people still do that now. Push boundaries. Don't alienate fans, but push boundaries. That's key, too, there. One of the other things uh, I would recommend not doing if you're CEO or in charge of a picture company or just basically in charge of everything is, um, again, making Fridays a pants day uh, optional, uh, pants optional day. That's not what I'd recommend, too. The 80s were an interesting time. That's... I wouldn't recommend to. Also, don't have a Tupperware full of cocaine in the break room. I think I would not have done that again, given the opportunity. I don't remember much of 1984. It went by very fast, and I think that's the reason. I think, uh, and I'll tell you, it cost me. I'll tell you what it cost me there in 1984. I had uh, a little bit of a chance to get in on a picture that would have made me a lot of money. It was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was being talked about, pitched. This kid, Timmy Burton, was coming out of the uh, Art Kid College up in uh, Magic Mountain Town, and he was uh, pitching it around, and people were saying, this could work. It's, it's uh, you know, Pee-wee Herman was uh, making the rounds. I remember going to a show at the Roxy, uh, uh, at the time there, uh, me and Joe Piscopo, uh, Piscopo came out from New York and I was trying to put Piscopo in an action picture. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. We, we, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we absolutely had uh, great fun seeing Pee Wee Herman live at the Roxy. So I knew there was some power there. I knew there was a uh, great ability there in, in Rubens, uh, as his real name is, uh, Paul Rubens is a performer there, but they were trying to put a picture together. Timmy Burton, this young kid, was going to direct it there, and he had some weird stuff planned. And he was again, this, there's this art kid school up by Magic Mountain where a lot of people come from. And uh, let's be honest, they're all weird. I think we should I, we can say that they're all weirdos, uh, and, and I mean in the best possible way. And so I, I turned on it, and and part of it's because I was in a coke bender for all of '84, all of '84. 
I remember that. Uh, I I wouldn't. I, you know, again, big big baseball fan. So I uh, I went to a World Series there with the Tigers and, and uh, Padres, and that uh, the Padres finally made the World Series in '84. There, you don't remember this, but uh, it was seventh inning of Game Three, I charged uh, uh, the, the stadium there. I, I was in the outfield running around. Uh, it was uh, Kirk Gibson tackled me and the Tigers at the time, later the Dodgers, and he was, he's a powerful man. Oomph was all the sound I made to the ground. Uh, he didn't want to even wait for the police. I uh, spent the rest of the game locked up. It was like the fourth inning. I spent the rest of the game locked up in a one-by-one cell beneath the uh, hot dog stands there at Old Tiger Stadium. And, uh, yeah, so don't have a, a Tupperware full of cocaine in the break room is what I would do. Dutch Allen says don't do that. Uh, the other, uh, Listen to all your people. Good ideas come from all parts of uh, the office. And even though that might not be their job, even though sometimes employees don't see the big picture, and you're in the closed-door meetings for a reason, not them, maybe, first of all, one thing is I would learn their names. That was something I struggled with for uh, the early part of my career. Uh, Learn their names. People like it when they feel like you remember them, especially if you see them every day at a front gate or at a commissary. Um, and I, and I, you know, I think it's because I came, when I worked at the Paramount Picture Commissary, I think there's, Jimmy Stewart never knew my name. He'd call me Cad, you know? That's all I got. I Cad, okay, pick up my sausage, you know? That's all I got out of Jimmy Stewart. So I think I carried that on. He was, and he was a great, he was an angel. Don't worry about it there, but... uh yeah, I had a guy work for me for 16 years, and I didn't remember his name. And the day he quit, I said goodbye. And he said, do you know my name? And I say, I'm going to say it's Arthur. And he said, no, it's Wallace. I've been your personal driver for 15 years. And every morning, he called me a different name. And I said, well, why didn't you correct me? He said, well, I did once, sir, and you fired me. And I said, that was... I thought that was Teddy. It was him, sir. Luckily, uh, I was back the next day. Your lawyers hired me. So that's something I think Bobby Iger's good at that. Remember the names of the people that work for you. Be invested, or at the very least, act like you're invested. I think the final thing, if I was writing a book and no one's asked me to write a book, I think the final thing that I'd say is uh, the mistakes to not make is never, I'm telling you, never, never put Bruce Willis in a picture with Tracy Morgan. Tracy's a doll. Tracy's, it just doesn't work. There's no chemistry. That's one, not one of the mistakes I made, but it's one of the mistakes I've seen made. Never do that. Anyways, uh, this has uh, been my look at the Bob Iger book. Uh, check it out. It's called The Ride of a Lifetime, 15 Years uh, as the Top Mouse at Disneyland. And I think I cannot recommend it. I would have liked, I'll be honest with you, I would have liked a little bit more uh, inside information on the Jungle Cruise ride. Where do they come up with those jokes? I'm fascinated by it. I one time went to Disneyland, true story, with Gerard Depardieu. He was a big star there. The motion motion picture green card was making all the raves, and uh, we became friends. We were looking at uh, some work work together, and and he said, I'd love to go. And I'm not going to do his French accent there. I'd love to go to Disneyland, so I took him there. 
and he fell asleep on my lap, face down in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Caribbean, Caribbean. Um, uh, he fell asleep on that ride, yeah, face down in my lap. There's security footage somewhere that I asked to be deleted because it looked like uh, just an absolute um, untoward act, and I didn't know what to do. It's the, one of the biggest stars in the world at the time. He's just, he's just, you know, charmed people in the movie Green Card with uh, Andy McDowell, who's just an angel, and. I didn't want, you know, what are you going to do? Nudge him? Say, get your nose out of my crotch? On a theme park? Maybe don't do that as well. Do not go on a theme park ride that's a slow, lull you to sleep ride like Pirates of the Caribbean. Caribbean? Caribbean. Caribbean. It's, it's a weird, that's a weird to say. I wish, so I wish, I wish I could wrote more about the Jungle Cruise ride. I love it a lot there. We're almost out of here. This has been the Knapsack Files podcast feed. I'm Dutch Allen. Some of you like me. Some of you don't. That's okay. We can live with it all. I'm not too worried about it. You know what I mean? We do what we do here. Uh, That's all we can do. That's all we can do, right? (laughs) So it's part of the Knapsack Files podcast feed. This way to support the feed. You can go to uh, catknapsack.com for information. Cutty Knapsack runs this feed. He gives Saturday. Once once a month here on Saturdays, he gives me the reign of the studio there. And you can go to uh, KenEpsock.com to find information. He's doing comedy. He's going to go out and do some comedy in uh, the nation's capital, November 16th, with our friend of the show, Mark Ellis. Uh, he's a funny chap himself. They're going to do a show. You can go to KenEpsock.com to get information. Uh, and, of course, don't forget, uh, there is a lot going on if you want to support the channel at Patreon.com slash KenEpsock there. And you can become one of the uh, high-tier patron supporters there. There's a lot of them right there uh, on, on the list. And I have a list in front of me there um i do have a list in front of me but uh, i'm trying to get the list up the computer does not seem to be working as much as i'd, I'd like it to be working i they want me to read this list off all the time and i think it's a good list uh, there's a lot of people that support the show and we want to give them credit but we want to give especially give the high tier supporters these are the executive producer supporters uh, it's thomas Rizzling, lethal logan logan x matthew simon bedore kyle harlow matt thompson Taymor, his brothers abdul and rafa donald long nathan ovendale who's a first rate nate that kid there Zach Jack Anderson and Ty Schellenberger, who I have on good authority, uh, once uh, spent an entire work week with no pants on as well. So that is it for this week. We are almost out of here. We just got the fires are killing me in Burbank right now. Pray for the firefighters. Pray for the horses running around the fields. Uh, inside Tinseltown, you've got go picture, kid. We'll see you next time here on the Knapsack Files podcast feed. I tell you that, Petey, I once, uh, there was a fire in 87 that took one of my houses. I was asleep in it. Well, it was a year, uh, yeah, no, I got out. I was asleep in the swimming pool, that's why. Let's go to Taco Bell.